All right, college basketball fans, here we go. It is time for episode 34 of Mad About Hoops. I'm your friend, Timmy Hall, and your other friend is Evil Bald Colin. Evil, how we doing this week, man? What's on your mind? Tim, I'm doing really well, man. No, it was a, it was a great uh, previous weekend of the Big 12 SEC Challenge. We saw a lot of, I think in people's minds, chalk, which was good to see. And then as we're recording this on a Thursday, there was a, uh, a Wednesday of just carnage and chaos with teams like Houston losing. Uh, Virginia lost to Virginia Tech a couple of days ago, I believe. Uh, yeah, there's, just, yep. there's been a whole craziness with that in the past couple 48 hours or so. You know, that, that's something that we can get into, that we will get into on this podcast. You mentioned the SEC Big 12 Challenge. You and I are both down for those kind of events where you take one conference, pit it against another one. My mind is sort of going somewhere to a mid-major flavor. This won't win with all the national media, you know, and it won't garner eyeballs. But that that's okay. That's not entirely what we're all about. We are deep track college basketball fans. That's why we're doing this pod. So we'll try to envision what mid-major conferences we would want to see match up with each other. We got a lot of good college basketball to talk about. We're rolling to you on February 4th, a Thursday. Got a top 10 Big 10 battle. Ohio State taking on Luca Garza. There's some things to get to on that front. Why do we keep sliding this Ohio State program every single year? And also, just how freaking good is Luca Garza? We got a lot to get to, so keep it locked right here. Episode 34 of Mad About Hoops. Five to go. Lewis has been awesome. Let's it go. Inbounds Turner, left side of the backcourt. Turner crossed the timeline, throws it from high on the right. He hit it just inside of half court. Lane's on the other wing. Oh! 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 Sent it in, Jerome! College basketball! This is March Madness! Another week of college basketball action right here, and we're one week closer to March Madness. It just keeps getting more intense, keeps getting better and better. Evil, the number one ranked team in the country, Gonzaga, has another very difficult task in the West Coast Conference tonight. They're taking on the University of Pacific. That's what the whole podcast is going to be about. Uh, uh, Well, it's funny you bring them up right away, because I think the story that we heard throughout the week is that Gonzaga, you know, they had issues with a lot of COVID issues out in the conference. They needed to find a game to possibly fill in the slot. And I think a lot of the rumors were is that they were in talks with, uh, at one point trying to get maybe like a Baylor. No, people wanted them to get Baylor. We but wanted I think that the talks were, They actually were talking to Houston because I think Houston had an open the week next week where they went to try to do a game in Lake Salt, uh, Salt Lake City. Mm. And I guess it kind of fell apart at like the last minute. And then as that news kind of like comes out into the, the atmosphere, uh, Houston goes out and then throws an egg, lays an egg up against Eastern Carolina. So uh, I, I don't know if that's just bad karma or what's going on here, but that's a funny thing that you bring up Gonzaga because that would have been a hell of a game to watch. Well, you got to watch those Pirates. And we won't do too much of the podcast on Gonzaga, but they are, I don't know if they are a unanimous best team in the country. I'm starting to wonder. No, it, it's, them, it's them and Baylor, but I think there's a clear yes. gap. 
You do see. I don't think that. I don't think there's a clear gap. And the competition now. This is what gets a team better prepared. And dude, the way that Baylor is just be smacking everybody in the Big Twelve. Oh, to clarify, I meant there's a gap between those top those top two. Those top two from the others. Yes, yes. If you go back to if you go back to our tier system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those two are pretty interchangeable. But, dude, if, if I'm a voter right now, I'd be one of the guys putting Baylor at number one. Like, they have done enough for me it. where I would be voting for them number one. And it's not all Gonzaga's fault. You are in your conference. You play who you're going to play. But that's just something that they have to live with. I think things are fine. It's okay if a couple of guys are going to vote for the dominant team in the Big 12 that is also undefeated. Basically... I don't think it comes down to fairness right now. Like voters will no. take a look at what suits them. Some will use the eye test and just look at how good those players are for Gonzaga and use the footage that they have of them playing the better competition. But I'm watching Baylor just take it night in and night out right now. And they're just smoking everybody. I think they've had like a couple of single digit games here in the last month or two in conference. That's it. Yeah, I'm looking at them right now. I think really the only close-ish game is the game on the road at Texas Tech. But again, that's like a top 15 team you're talking about. They're good. Yeah, Raiders are good. If you're going to nitpick that. Uh, but what the, they they feel one of the metrics I always look for when it comes to tournament time is where are you in the offensive and defensive efficiency meters for Ken Palm? And right now I think they're the only other the only other team is Michigan that qualifies because they haven't played as many games, but they're both in the top 10 in both offensive and defense, defensive efficiency in Ken Palm. So, like I said, for the past couple of weeks, like Baylor, you're going to expect with them the defense, and they're always tops in, in the nation in defense. But what they are doing on offense is something we have not seen with Scott Drew's teams before, which is why I think we're not going to see it the same old Baylor when it comes to March Madness. How many times do you check out Ken Palm? Uh, quite a bit, a especially it's, uh, once or twice. It, it, it's give or take, especially when I'm trying to come up with like defensive – defensive efficiency numbers with teams that I'm thinking of how they're going to perform in the tournament, because that's what kind of what I lean on the most when I'm trying to decipher, how am I going to build my bracket? Because I think defense carries you most of the time. I don't have the numbers on it, obviously, but teams that are better on the defensive side of the ball tend to do better. Yeah. Baylor right now is just smoking it in the analytics everywhere. You're going to look, they're the, they're the best team to me. And it's like we talk about it every year. We've talked about it on this podcast. How is how is Gonzaga going to do when they have to snap right back to playing stiff competition every single time out when they get to the Sweet mm-hmm. 16? They're definitely going to get to the Sweet 16. And then after that, we are, we are going to see. A lot of people think that they are just going to run all the way to a national championship and win it. I don't think it's that easy, especially when – you're doing something that you've never done before. That's that's the thing. I, I want it for him. I really do because I love Mark Few and I love what they've built. I love how they operate. I hope they can get yeah, it done at some point. But that's that's the weird thing is the other team we're talking about is in the same position where they're known for like the early exit. Uh, they're not known for really going too far. So it's really weird how the two dominant teams in the game right now are two teams that really haven't done it like when it when it matters the most which is why i think the march madness tournament is just going to be so incredible for the aspect is that everybody's talking about well if you get into one of the two regions that they're not in you're Mm -hmm. in pretty good shape and i'm like well who's to say it's any different if you're in their region to begin with because again we haven't seen them do it on a consistent basis to show that oh year after year that they can go to the final four and be a legitimate contender so again we got to see it more so with baylor than gonzaga but I mean, it's no lock for sure. 
All right, so Evil, let's go to something, uh, a game that's going to happen today. This might be dated, but mm -hmm. we don't need to make it too much about one game, even though it is the biggest game of the season. So <laughs> there's that, but we know we're doing a podcast here, and a lot of people might be listening to this on, on Friday or over the weekend, and the results are already there. But number seven, Ohio State, taking on number eight, Iowa. There's a lot of different layers here. And a little bit later on, you want to you wanna talk some shit about a college hoops reporter who mm -hmm. did something that almost everybody's been doing for the last three years. It's along the lines of why, why is this always such a shock to us when Ohio State gets to this ranking? It seems like so many people in the fan base will play the schedule game, and if you have a top 10 team on the road coming up, you'll just assume that it's going to be a loss. It's like... It's like out of this world that Ohio State would go somewhere difficult and win the game, like beat Illinois on the road or beat Wisconsin on the road without the lack with the lack of height that they have on this year's team. But they continue right. to do it year after year. And when they get to the top 10, so many people said to be like, man, when was the last time Ohio State was ranked that high? Do you have to go back into the the meat of the Thad Mata era? Uh, no. Last year, after they had that impressive non-conference stretch, right, where he got his program win when they smacked Villanova. That's one of one of uh, Chris Hol one of Chris Holtman's guys. Mm -hmm. He loves Jay Wright about as much as any coach that's out there. So they were ranked number five in December <laughs> last year. So it hadn't been that long. It's just to do it this late in the Big Ten season. That might be the little step that this program needed to take when we're talking about Ohio State. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you. And I, I think the guy is Andy Katz, and he already on social media has kind of walked it back saying that it was just an oversight on his part when he was building the graphic, and then he sent it to the Fox Sports people. They posted it on Instagram and Twitter and whatnot, and you know the Ohio State fan base, they came and they showed up real fast. And um, I know he said he was going to talk to uh, Mark Titus later on on today, which is Thursday, so I'm sure Mark is just giving them tons of crap about it. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't – well, good, good. At least there is a reason for it, but you can still take some. Yeah, no, if, if we're just talking about logically, just talking about the team itself, yeah, it's, it's very hard, in my opinion, to just overlook what they're doing right now. I mean, you got a guy that's shooting damn near 50% from the three-point line. He's, I, I would say, arguably, his contributions to the offense in a more consistent manner is what's really lifting this team. And so, we talk so much. No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 go uh, ahead. Finish. I was, I was just going to say, you can depend on guys like, Washington's going to get you buckets. While it might not be efficient, he's still going to get you buckets. You're going to have EJ Liddell getting his 15 to 17. But it's the emergence, and I, I think his points per game average, Justin Arns, has been from somewhere around like the fours. He's up to around close to seven now. And it's just because he's so efficient shooting the three, he's getting close to double digits almost every single game now. It's given them an extra lift. I don't think they've really experienced in the past couple of years consistently. I can't remember ever covering a team that is playing 10 or 11 guys. I I, yeah. I can't. I can't come up with that. You just don't see it in college basketball. I would say it's more often you see a team that only plays seven, sometimes six this late in the year. If you're talking about a guy that will get, you know, 15 to 25 minutes off of the bench, like it's usually really small rotations at this time of the year. In Ohio State, mm -hmm. well, well, not obviously not all six of those guys that would come off the bench will play – double-digit minutes, but someone will come in and do something substantial. Even if it doesn't show up in the points column, it might be purely defensive. It might even be giving up a couple of fouls. But it's it's really useful to have right now. And, and Ohio State's still miss, missing 
one of their big guys that hasn't really been able to develop yet in Ibrahima Diallo. And there, maybe something's there next season. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. It also depends on what they do. And it, it's funny. You mentioned next year, and I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I've been thinking all this week about this whole waiver year and Jimmy Soto's. He can come back next year because it's the waiver year. It doesn't count your eligibility. I, I'm just thinking, I don't know about guys like Kyle Young. I know CJ Walker did say he's going to move on after the season, but if you're talking about keeping majority of that core, Washington, maybe EJ Liddell comes back for a junior year. You throw in a Kyle Young into a mix, and then you, maybe you even add an Efton Reed, a five-star center out of Virginia. I yeah. mean, you're talking about you're talking about a team that could probably be preseason top ten, and that's not a far stretch to say. It's it's really incredible, boy. You know, did you see that Kyle Young, the power forward for Ohio State, he's going mm -hmm. to playing his 100th game this one against Iowa that's going to be his 100th game yeah that's incredible and he's just been a steady contributor for this program ever since his freshman year and it's kind of just gone in like a mountain formation just going straight up each year and to the point where he's he's not averaging double digits but it feels like he can just get it any game he wants to yeah I mean his low post moves have really improved he is he is the guy that you that love. little hop set into the lane and then the yeah. little flick up, I think that's a signature move. Yeah, Hop it, it step into the lane, well. little bunny floater. That used to be just a straight-up brick when he was a freshman. You never wanted yes. him shooting the basketball unless he was catching an alley-oop, right? He always came in with that athleticism, and he provided something. If he could get a backdoor cut or just get lost in the defense there and go up and grab an oop, but now he can go in there and generate. If he's got a one-on-one, -on -one, you almost want him to go. Like, get the jump stop, bunny hop, floater it's a bucket and god he he can throw a double double out there but he doesn't have to to be effective mm -hmm. he's one of the best defenders that ohio state has he's completely bought into the culture he is absolutely the guy that you love if you are a big time college basketball fan it's why we do what we do to see a guy like that improve steadily over a four-year career and it's like you said we haven't heard any of this yet but he would seem like a good candidate to take that extra year, and you know Ohio State would be willing to keep that guy because Chris Holtman always says old wins in college basketball. That's what it's about. No, yeah, it's funny. We were listening to Ryan Day talk about scholarship numbers and what how they would do the 85 number going forward because of the year of the waiver. I wonder how basketball is going to do that and if Holtman can play with the numbers a little bit. But, I mean, by all means, if you can bring that guy back for a fifth year and what they could be next season, you have to do it. So the the thing that we're going to get to, we'll take a quick uh, zero second break right here. And we're just going to try to see what kind of category we can put Luca Garza in of all the basketball <laughs> that we've watched since we've loved this he, he sport. Could, he could just be a unicorn. And you, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if well, you can really put him in one. He's that good. Like that's, that's kind of where we're going here. Like we've, we've watched a lot of college hoops throughout our years and you're starting to talk about the best that we've ever seen play. And uh, what's his NBA career going to look like as well? Cause there's a lot of talk there about how effective he's going to be able to be at the next level, but we'll get into that. We'll talk about that sec big 12 challenge and we'll come up with some ideas for maybe some mid major conference affiliated matchups that we'd like to see in the future that's all coming up don't go anywhere just a little quick breather it's mad about hoops all right heading into the break tim i said that luca garza is what i call a unicorn because there's really nowhere to put him into a category but 
I mean, you, you want us to put them into a category, so I'm thinking about it right now, and I, I don't really know, and I'm thinking of former college basketball players, more recent than anything else, that would fit into that category. Well, so even if you don't have to put them into a category, the, the category is, though, best players I've ever seen in college basketball. Oh, okay. That, that, that's my category. Like, that's what I was sitting here, like, jotting down. I'm thinking of the way Luca Garza is. He's one of those – he's the guy that's improved, too. I remember uh, Adrian Payne at Michigan State, who pretty much was a nothing guy when he entered. And by the time mm-hmm. he was leaving, he was he was ridiculous. He was so good. Draymond Green was another one of those guys, too, for Tom Izzo. But looking at Luca's stats through the years, he was a really good player, right? Like t- 2017-2018, he was a 12-6 and six guy. That's really, really good for a true freshman. He had the size. He started 26 games for Fram. He didn't take that big of a jump in his sophomore year. That's what's weird is he goes up to a 13-point-per-game guy, but he's worse on the glass. That might have been some of the fits and what they had him doing offensively. Rebounds went down to 4.5, and and then he comes back, and we know what he did 2019-20. He's the National Player of the Year, and here he is this year, and he's gotten even better. And still, they don't know like how he's going to be in the NBA, but I don't want to focus too much on that first. His legacy is completely secured and it's intact as far as what he'll be at Iowa. Like, and also this dude can get behind a microphone. He can be on any of the college basketball, you know, CBS, Fox, whoever's going to have him. If he wants to get into the booth and be a game announcer or just be a studio guy, Luca Garza, if he gets polished up like that, he can do it forever. He's that kind of guy. But Dude, I I, I have to have him. If I'm putting together like a starting five of players that I've actually seen, like, you know, I I went to school at KU. I (laughs) covered some basketball in Raleigh-Durham. Now I've been here in Central Ohio for eight years. He's without a doubt in the starting five. And it's probably him and a Tyler Hansbro, who, by the way, Chris Holtman compared him to a couple of times this week with the way that the motor runs for Luca Garza. I'd probably have Hansbro, Luca, not be uh, keeping this position list. I'd probably uh, Steph is without a doubt on there. Steph Curry from Davidson. Sure. Evan Turner's got to be there for Ohio State to throw a Buckeye out there. And I'd probably pick Wayne Simeon as my Jayhawk of all the KU guys that I've seen. And it, that's leaving Nick Collison off is tough. Like all uh-huh. these Kirk Heinrich Collison, all these guys brought something, but man, Wayne Simeon just. And KU guys also, like, weren't getting the numbers. And until Frank Mason, you went a long, long time without having a national player of the year because at times you've had so many good ones, and they're all giving up shots and giving up points per game and some of the glamour stats to fit into the team. But yet they still only got that one national title to speak of. And Wayne Simeon was not on that team, I understand it, but just watching that guy in his last two years, he was a beast for Kansas. But those are are some of the best guys I've ever seen covering this. I'm a little surprised you didn't put Carson Edwards in there. I told you that before we started recording, actually, that that was a name that kind of came to my mind right away when you talked about it. Um, I don't know what year. I, well, 2010, 2011, the Wooden Award winner, Jimmer Fredette, probably was the first one that came to mind for me, honestly. Uh, and to think he won the Wooden Award shooting just under 40% from three. So, I mean, if Justin Ars was playing back then, who knows what he would have done. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but – no, I, I don't have any issues with really anybody you put in that list. I think if I'm just looking at the names that you said, man, it, it's it's I, I think I give the edge to Hansborough just because of, you know, 
I always go back to the team aspect and what he did with that te- that uh, Carolina team. I think I would give him the edge. Obviously, Lucas still has a full year or tournament to decide what his legacy is. But I think when I'm just thinking of the names that you said on that list, I think Lucas sits in pretty firm at number two. You know what? That's See, that's interesting because I, I tweeted this earlier this week. I would pay good money to see take them both, like take UNC Tyler Hansbro. Let's go Luca Garza versus Tyler. I am giving Luca the edge. I'm not gonna really? di- I'm not gonna disrespect Tyler, and a lot of people want to do that based on what his NBA career was. And yet here uh, and yet here that same talk is gonna be about Luca and uh, how he's gonna be able to live when he goes on to the next level. I, I think he's gonna survive. I think he's gonna be fine because he's shown that ability to stretch out and shoot the basketball. And he also just He's got one of the biggest upper bodies you've seen, right? Like he's just so strong and he's got the edge on Tyler in that department. Now, Hansbro, like mm-hmm. you picture the bloody face, right? Uh, who was that? <laughs> who was that? Gerald Henderson for Duke, who just I think you're right. went I up with right. the dirtiest, most vicious type of punch to the face block that you've ever seen late in a loss, right? And I'll never forget Billy Packer was still rocking and rolling, right? The old, the famous CBS basketball announcer, and he just went out there That's with right. the opinion like there was nothing wrong with that at all. Like, oh, it's just a clean basketball play, He's just going up their heart. It's like Billy, what are you talking about? But the <laughs> motors for both of them, right, were there. But I, I gotta say, with what I'm seeing out of Luca Garza now, turning into a a guy that can really almost go off for thirty on any given night. His defense is there. His rebounding is there. He's well, just a I, I man think possessed. defense is where he kind of struggles, though. I think that's where people are kind of questioning how he translates to the next level. But again, the defense is so minimized in the NBA. I don't know how much is going to hurt his stock, but I do think it played a factor into why he didn't go out after his junior year. I th- and he's obviously a much better player offensively. I'm not trying to say yeah, that. I just I, I I see a I see a willing defender. I don't see a guy down there in the post who is easy to score on. I mean, just sure. just having that size in general and what he is right now to the game, it's it's phenomenal. And he's a runaway favorite. And I'd vote for him. There's there's nobody else. And there's a lot of great players this year, CB in the game. I'm not picking any of them over Luca yeah. Garza at this stage. Are you? I uh, yeah. There's. See, the sport's really fun this year because there's a lot of low-level names. You look at the mock drafts and whatnot. You got Evan Mobley, the seven-foot center out of USC. You got Kate Cunningham, the point guard down there at Oklahoma State. But there's right. really, outside of Luka, there's no really over-the-top type of player. So I think, yeah, he is in a class of his own, not only in just his category of a player and how he was as a college basketball player, but how he is this year looking at the Wooden Award and whatnot. Like, I think he should run away with it. I mean, you've and you've got... Again, a guy that's not going to say the the only point of emphasis on the team, but he's way bigger to Iowa than, say, Gonzaga's oh, got sure. a team of stars. Baylor has got, you know, that backcourt, but also they're well-rounded in a team of stars there. The points per game, like, can only go so high with those guys. Like, Wieskamp and Bohannon for Iowa, the McCaffrey kids, they're, they're good. That's why they're there, and their offensive efficiency is at a certain point. But Garza is more to his team than any mm-hmm. other man in college basketball. Well, I think he opens it up for them because what we talk about Bohannon and Wieskamp specifically is that they're good at getting kickouts and then making uh, their three-point percentages because of Garza's ability down in the post to really pull attention away. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like, just his presence on the court makes them such better players around him. All right, man, we'll take one more quick breather here, and 
We will talk about that mid-major challenge, conference versus conference, that if we could make up, we'd want to see these schools playing in one of those ACC Big Ten Challenge, SEC Big 12 Challenge type of things. What would it be? And we'll take a look at the scoreboard, tell you what you need to be paying attention to. Even some, we, we always get the Super Bowl Sunday, and then we usually get some daytime college basketball feeding into it, but it's not that much. But there's some interesting things to pay attention to. Quick timeout, and we'll be right back. You've got Mad About Hoops. When it's time to party, we will party hard. All right, Tim, we talked about it right before going to break, but we are looking at other conferences, matchups that we could create similar to a Big 12 ACC or a Big 12 SEC challenge and ACC Big 10 challenge. Yes, yes. This would be fun. This would be fun to see, right? Because we only talk about it with major conferences because that's where the TV money is. Nobody's sitting there and saying, oh, I got to see the West Coast Conference match up with the Ivy League, right? <laughs> let's right. let's do it all on Friday night, right? Friday night basketball, which is what the Ivy League is all about, which is cool, by the way. The other cool thing, though, that no one talks about is happening in the Horizon League this year as they're doing, and this is COVID-related, but they're doing the the pairs of games. Do you know about this? Like, they're they're playing, like, uh, Yes, I, I think it's very site. similar because I, I mentioned it to a buddy. I think it's very similar to how the Ivy League actually does their basketball just in general. Just in general. Playing. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to go with that one. West Coast Conference taking on the Ivy League. Love the smart guys out there. They play solid basketball. They supply the rest of the country with a lot of really good players when they age out, when they graduate, because what's what's the rule there? You can't you can't play as a graduate. Yes, correct. You, You only get four years to play in an Ivy League or even or even if you graduate in three, you're done in that. Isn't that the rule as well? Like you can't play as a graduate or am I wrong uh, there? That's a good question. I don't know. Because Seth Towns, he got that done and now he's got a couple years of eligibility here with Ohio State. Hmm. There was an injury in, there was an injury there too, but man, you got good teams with Yale, with Princeton, with Harvard. Guys are always sort of going up and down. Penn is always there too. And anytime you got a conference like the West Coast Conference that has Gonzaga at the top, and you've got these other guys now with BYU coming into the league, they provide some interest. They're always fighting to be a tournament team. And then St. Mary's. St. Mary's is that byproduct of Gonzaga elevating their status to that level. Someone else sort of had to just do better, right? Because you're tired of getting whipped every single night. And then the St. Mary's Gales, coached by your boy, they rise up here these last 10 years and have some great teams and make some good runs in the tournament. So I would love to see those two conferences go at it for mid-majors. Yeah, I like that. I told you before the break, I was going to go with the Missouri Valley and A-10. Similarly, because I like the top-end matchups. you got teams like Drake, who's having a really good year. Loyola Sh- Chicago is always a decent program. And then you have teams like Missouri State every so often, mm-hmm. Northern Iowa when they're healthy, uh, and then Valpo every so often. But then you look at the A-10 – Funny enough, it's 14 teams in the A-10. Uh, but you have teams like St. Bonaventure. Uh, you have Dayton. You have Richmond. Uh, you have VCU. You just, it's going to be very top-heavy, and obviously you can't fill out every single matchup. But I think there would be a lot of intriguing matchups if you got those teams, and a lot of good home courts in those, those uh, leagues too. I mean, come on. The, a- the A-10 is awesome. That's, that's a good one. I, I, I can't believe that I didn't think of either of those two conferences when I was putting this one together myself well I did think about them but <laughs> I wanted to see where you were going to go and you're the big fan of the Missouri Valley god I just I I yeah. go back to that year where they they took four or five teams to an NCAA tournament 
and yet you got to go back to the 1990s to see the last time that happened to the Mac. And most people don't think that's going to happen again. Neither of us picked the Mac. The poor Mid American Conference actually got some really good teams, and all of the I Ohio mean, the A ten may the A ten may get to this year, and that's if St. Louis can pull their act together because they've only played two conference games and lost them both. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'll tell you what. I used to love some Southern Conference basketball too, from the time that I was in oh, North so Carolina good. when Davidson was rocking and rolling there. You had uh, teams like Wofford and Winthrop, right? That we talked about always held their own and uh, i got uh i got some love for the caa too the colonial and the colonial is one that's been picked apart too a lot of the teams are different from when i was a kid but growing up in virginia it was all about george mason right who's in a different league right now william and mary they're still in the caa yeah vcu was in the caa back then too so they were they were always one to see yeah, and I think now that you're talking about the Colonial, it's been pretty much ran by uh, Northeastern. You got William and Mary, and then uh, UNC Wilmington's also had a couple good stretches. All right, Evil. One thing left to do on episode 34 of Mad About Hoops, and that's check the scoreboard for the weekend. Let all the college hoops fans know what they can't miss. And here's something that you were mentioning. Talk, talk about letting them know something. Right? But this is crazy because usually <laughs> – you know, if you're just doing the quick glances, right, for your college hoop slate, it starts at the top 25 scoreboard. Naturally, your mind just says, oh, if you're not, if someone's not ranked in the top 25, how can it be a good game? Obviously, that's total bullshit. There are good games where <laughs> no one's ranked. But listen to this. Duke UNC is on Saturday, and no one has talked about it. They are buried here in nope. the back of the podcast because neither team is very good. I can remember working there in, in the market there, Evil, and one of our longtime sports reporters, his name was Tom Suter. He was a legend there, a TV sportscaster, great guy, legend. And he, he would tell me that in his career, he never had more than a three-year span where one of the teams wasn't making a run to the Final Four. Therefore, the TV stations would get their big you know, coverage groups ready, and they'd send four or five guys, producers, sports anchors, whatnot, and send them to wherever the Final Four was. So there was always that that astonished me, like told you about the success and the history and the basketball teams. You got to go back, though, to 1960. 1960, the last time yeah. there was a Duke-UNC game where both were unranked. Crazy. That is crazy. And honestly, though, just looking at the two teams, it's not surprising. And that's unfortunate because I did have high hopes for uh, North Carolina this year. Not as much for Duke, but at least I expected them to be a little bit respectful. But I mean, there's just there's a couple of matchups like that this weekend because a, a Tennessee team who's still ranked in the top 15, but I don't know how because they're they've just been disappointing, too. They're going to face Kentucky, who's got like 11 losses on the season. Uh, and it just it just reiterates the point that the season is just so messed up. If you're, if you're coming into the sport mm-hmm. after the football season, expecting to, you know, you go to the local team, the, go to the teams, you know, like those are the teams that are good. Got it. I'm back in the swing of things for college basketball. You can't do that this year because they're all just bad, either bad or just average. Meanwhile, North Carolina is on a little bit of a hot streak. I think they've won like five of the last six or something like that. But still, this is just not the same sport that, the casual fans walking back into and that game right there honestly who would have known we didn't even know 
Right, right. Anything else you're looking at? We got Super Bowl Sunday coming up here. You were pointing out yeah. that there's going to be a game after the Super Bowl is done. No one's going to be watching that unless you're <laughs> sick like us and it's Pac-12 basketball for you. Yeah, I think it's uh, Cal and Stanford at 10 o'clock out at uh, Maples Pavilion out there at Stanford. Let's do so, it, baby. Uh, <laughs> I, I might check it out a little bit. Yeah, but no, Alabama-Missouri, that's going to be an interesting game. Alabama's starting to uh, – were they peaking at the wrong time? I think we're starting to see that with Alabama. They could be falling back to earth. Uh, there was a Big Ten game. Oh, Wisconsin at Illinois. I'm going to keep an eye yeah. on that Saturday, 230, 2.30. Um, I know <laughs> we were making fun of Houston – quitting at the last second on their deal with uh, Gonzaga to get a game next week because they're playing Our Lady of the Lake. What the hell Saturday is Our Lady of the Lake? Sounds like the butter. Sounds like Lando Lakes. What the heck no, is that? No, it sounds, it sounds like, to me, uh, Lake of Ozarks. Like the, Lake uh, of the Ozarks. Jason Bateman's on the starting shit. five. Yeah, it's Jason yeah. Bateman. Laura yes. Lenny and Jason Bateman will uh, run the backcourt for that game. Uh, the mob uh, on I'm side. interested in Oklahoma State hosting Texas. Texas still in the top ten. They're going to go on the road to Oklahoma State. Will they get Kate Cunningham back? I think he was out. I think he was out for COVID protocols, but don't hold me to that. But he has missed the past couple of games. Um, Pitt and Virginia, maybe Pitt's got a couple of decent players that I'm keeping an eye on. And then Virginia, can they bounce back from that lost attack? Uh, Purdue and Northwestern, maybe just because those freshmen for Purdue are really intriguing and they've given us a headache in two games this year. And that's pretty much it outside of the two games that I mentioned that are shockingly not that good this year. Well, all right, man. It's just the first podcast in the month of February. That means next month on the calendar, it's March and February is yeah, a shorty. It's a shorty. We're probably a, we're probably getting close to a month exactly from conference tournament time for most of these conferences. So, well, Big topic, big topic for next podcast, conference tournaments. If you're a lock to get in, do you opt out with the testing protocols for Indy? It's been talked about already. We want to have uh, a bunch of time to go through that. So look forward to that on episode 35. And and that's a teaser. The Big Ten will have a major, major advantage when it comes to that. But there'll be dilemmas everywhere, all over the place. Yes. Absolutely. So there's your check of the scoreboard. Had a lot of good things on this podcast. Hey, if if you've got some friends that you know are lovers of the game and they haven't checked out the pod yet for whatever reason, tell them they can search Mad About Hoops wherever they're listening to their podcasts. It's really easy to do. Please give us a rating and a review. And this is our time to shine. This is the big, big couple of months here as we are steamrolling towards the best event in all of American sports, the NCAA tournament. Bubbly or not bubbly, it's going to happen. Evil, so good to be with you here, man. Yeah, it's good to talk with you, Tim. Can't wait to talk more games and more upsets to come. All right, everybody. This is Mad About Hoops.